That's a good answer. I'm doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. Any chance I get to teach the Bible any day I get to teach the Bible is a good day. I love it. Let's, uh, let's pray and then I'll do an intro, catch you up to speed. Um, <laughs> let's pray first. <laughs> Lord, we come before you and we just thank you so much for the time to come together in your name, Lord, to dive into your word so that we might understand you on a deeper level. God, I pray that you would speak to each of us personally, Lord, that you would um, just pierce our hearts with your with your word. Uh, we know you promise your word does just that, so I pray that it would and we would be able to identify um, with this text that was written so long ago, yet it's so applicable applicable to uh, our our lives today. Lord, so we ask for the power of your Spirit. We pray that you would fill us, fill every person in this room, and we would truly know that, that we're learning from you. It has nothing to do with uh, what I say. It has everything to do with what your Word says. So we love you. In your name, amen. Uh, real quick, if... You didn't bring a Bible or you don't have a Bible, whatever the case may be. I want to just get a Bible in your hand so that you can follow along uh, with us. If you just raise your hand, we'll get you a Bible. Just keep your hands up. If you don't have a Bible, you can keep that. That's our gift to you. Um, again, I love getting Bibles in, in people's hands so that you can follow along uh, with me as best as possible. Sometimes I'll go fast through a bunch of scriptures or say them from memory. I don't expect you to look at every single verse that I say, but at least the, the big ones so that you can follow uh, along with the story. There's a lot of information that we cover in a short period of time. So the more you're looking at it and following along, the more you'll be able to remember some of these, these things and let them resonate in your hearts um, as well. Always a good thing if you, if you have the chance to, uh, to take notes. Um, it's, uh, I forget what the percentages were. I meant to look this up. But the percentage of people, when, when you look at just hearing someone communicate, versus writing down what what they communicate, you're able to retain uh, more than double the amount of information, which is very interesting. And then they say when you teach the stuff, when you're forced to teach the information, then you know like know it 100%. You know it well. Um, so that's why I have to teach so I can remember these things better. Um, anyways, to catch you up to speed, we've been in the book of Genesis, specifically focusing on this character named Joseph, who we've seen uh, a lot of all the way back in Genesis chapter 37. That's when I really started focusing on Joseph. And as we've discussed before, God saw fit that Joseph would consume about 25%, a quarter of the book of Genesis. So a very important character. We see time and time again, these pictures in Joseph's life and his story that mimic and imitate pictures of Christ and these things called uh, typologies. And there's a couple of those in here in this text, specifically pertaining to the second coming of Christ. And I'll mention those things but that's not my primary focus of this teaching. Now, if you remember, there's been a lot of testing that's been going on, right? We, we've been talking about testing for months now. Because ever since we were introduced to Joseph, he's been tested, right? He was betrayed by his brothers, sold into slavery, falsely accused, imprisoned, forgotten. All these different things have happened to him. But now we saw in the last uh, few weeks how it was Joseph's turn to do the testing. And God was using Joseph to test his brothers. And he wasn't doing it maliciously. He was doing it out of love because he had to make sure that they had changed, that they had grown that they had become the men that would ultimately lead this nation God's chosen people in the nation of Israel 
So we ended last week in Genesis chapter 44 and the title of that teaching was the final test because we see that Joseph brought these brothers through several tests, but we see the final test had to do with him making them assume that he was going to take Benjamin, the other favored son, into slavery. And we see the brothers being led by Judah pass this test with flying colors. See, they were once hateful towards Joseph and selfish and sold him into slavery. But now when Benjamin is being brought into slavery, they put themselves out there. Judah, in fact, puts his own life on the line. And we see a change in him. We see this character quality, this character quality of love. He was self-sacrificial. And now these men, they're ready. They pass the test. They're ready to become the leaders that God has called them to become. In this chapter, we're going to see after the final test, Joseph is finally going to reveal himself. And we're going to see through this chapter that Joseph truly has proven to be the leader that God has called him to be. He's been through so much, and yet he's conquered every single obstacle that's been put in his path. In this text, Joseph not only is going to reveal himself to his brothers, but we're also going to see that Joseph's perspective about all the trials he went through is revealed as well. He's going to discuss, he's going to communicate to his brothers his his thought process, what he was thinking, in other words, uh, when all these things happened to him. We see even in his mind, his mindset was that of a conqueror. Joseph was a conqueror. And he conquered many obstacles throughout the book of Genesis as we dive into his story. Which brings me to the title of this teaching. The mind of a conqueror. The mind of a conqueror. It's so fascinating. We can make assumptions uh, throughout his story and what his perspective was because how he responds uh, in different situations, whether it was when he was forgotten or betrayed or enslaved or imprisoned, we can assume some things. But this text really, uh, we get to hear his perspective about it. He's communicating some things that lets us know what his mentality was as he went through all these different trials. If you would... Pick it up with me in Genesis chapter 45, verse 1. To remind you real quick, the final test just happened in chapter 44. As I said, now Joseph, after he tests them that final time, he can't resist revealing himself. And that's where we're going to pick up in Genesis chapter 45, verse 1. Remember, his brothers didn't know that it was him this whole entire time. Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried out, make everyone go out from me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. We see that Joseph finally reveals himself. But I want to point out something specific. It says that he couldn't restrain himself. He was so built up with emotion. Likely for two separate reasons. He was likely so emotional and crying out because he didn't like what he had to do with his brothers. He was testing them in ways he was deceiving them. But he knew it was what was necessary for them to be challenged in their faith to become the men that God had called them to become. It's not fun to challenge people. It's not fun to test them. But Joseph knew that that's what he had to do. For a greater purpose in producing that character quality of self-sacrifice in his brothers. I get this. I can understand this. It, it, It hurts sometimes to put people through challenges. But it's part of the discipleship that the Lord calls us to. And even the way he did discipleship. He often put his people in difficult circumstances. Not because he was mad at them or angry with them. But because he wanted to grow them. He wanted to mold them. He wanted to shape them. But even for us, as we're called to imitate God, we are called to challenge people. We are called to challenge people in their faith. 
We are called to test them in their faith in some capacity. And that can get hard. That sometimes hurts. Because we, when we love people and we care for them, we want them to be comfortable. We want them to be okay. But love doesn't always look like making people comfortable. Love sometimes looks like pushing people out out of their comfort zone. And that's what he had to do. That's what Joseph had to do with his brothers. He had to test them in ways that he probably didn't want to. It wasn't like he was trying to get back at them for what they did to him. No, no, no. He was doing this all with a heart of purity, a heart of sincerity, a heart of love. He was challenging his brothers because he wanted what was best for them. See, sometimes helping people, it doesn't always look like really helping them. What do I mean? Sometimes helping people looks like testing them and challenging them. Sometimes helping people looks like allowing them to walk through the trial that God has them in. Sometimes we want to comfort. We want to console. We want to coddle. But sometimes the Lord's like, hey, you need to step back. I got them. Don't get in the way of what I'm doing in their life because I'm dealing with this. I'm the one that put them in this trial. And and, and I'm going to work through it with them. I don't want them to lean on you. I want them to lean on me. Now, there's a balance here because sometimes there is that time that we're called to comfort people. The Bible talks to us about that in uh, first, uh, Second Corinthians chapter uh, 1, I believe it is. It, it, he calls us to comfort others as Christ comforts us. So there's a time to bring comfort to someone and there's a time to allow them to walk through the challenges that God has placed in their lives. We see Joseph discern the times. He knew when it was time to let them walk through the challenge. He also knew when it was time to, to comfort them. And that's what he's going to do here in this text. The test is over. Now he's going to bring consolation to them. So he's likely emotional about that because of what he had to walk his brothers through. But he's probably emotional because of the change in transformation that he just witnessed in their lives. You got to think. Joseph didn't know exactly how this was going to pan out. He didn't know if his brothers truly had changed or not. He didn't know if Judah and the boys were going to be like, okay, go ahead and take Benjamin. We don't care. He's the favorite child. We're better off without him. He didn't know how they were going to respond. So he was doing all of this by faith. And now as he walks by faith, he's able to see the fruit of his faithfulness in that his brothers were changed. His brothers are transformed. A transformed life, that'll get anyone emotional. When we see God work in someone's life, whether it's through trials or whatever, when we see true change happening in somebody's life, Seriously, that's one of the greatest emotions that that I've ever experienced. Watching someone grow in the Lord and the Lord allowing you to be a part of it. And you get to witness this thing. Oh, my gosh. A year ago, two, three, four years ago, this person was this and now they're this. That'll bring anyone to tears. So we see Joseph. He has every right to be emotional. He couldn't restrain himself. He cried out. But we also have to remember this. It was 20 years ago in Genesis chapter 37 that his brothers sold him into slavery. Joseph had a lot of time on his hands to contemplate, to think about his brothers. And we see ultimately he does the right thing. But think about who they were 20 plus years ago and who they are now. That's a huge difference. This difference didn't happen in a day. This change didn't happen in a day. Think about this. It took 20 something years for these brothers to finally receive the conviction of what they did to their brother and do something about it to repent of it. See, sometimes it takes a long time for people to change. Sometimes it takes more time than you're willing to spend. But imagine if Joseph had that perspective, man, they're going to be the same. They were same, same kind of men they were 20 years ago. But no, he didn't have that perspective. He believed that God could change these people. Have you ever had someone in your life that seems so hard-headed, so stiff-necked as the Bible describes? It seems like they're hopeless and helpless and they're never going to change. Nothing's happening. Maybe God called you to invest in someone. Maybe it's a child. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a family member. And you pour your heart out to them. You try to live out the gospel. You preach the gospel to them. And nothing comes of it. It can get discouraging, right? 
But we got to remember, change, it, it, it takes time. It doesn't always happen in a day. And Joseph, he displayed this long-suffering character. He was patient with his brothers. So much time went on, but in the end, he continued to test them. And again, the Lord blessed his faithfulness in allowing him to witness the transformation that was going to happen in their lives. See, if God calls us to invest into someone, if he puts someone in your life, and a lot of times God will put someone difficult in your life for you to invest into. Sometimes they're easy, sometimes they're not. But sometimes the Lord uses that person in our lives to teach us how to love on a deeper level. And we can't have the mentality of, I'm going to give up. I'm going to stop. I'm not going to invest in them. I know God brought this person into my life, but you know what, Lord, if there's no fruit on the tree, cut it down. I'm not doing this anymore. But wait a minute. The Lord saw fit to bring that person to you, not somebody else, to you. Who are we to stop pursuing? We always have to look at that through the lens of how Christ pursues us. One sheep goes astray. We've all been there at some point in our lives. And he pursues us. He goes out to get us and he saves us. He picks us up. He nurtures us. He comforts us. And he brings us to green pastures. He brings us to the place that we need to be. And God will often use us to do the same thing in people's life. But it's not going to happen if we give up. Joseph didn't give up. He continued to pursue. And now, because he pursued, because he was faithful again, he was able to see real change happen in his brother's lives. Now, there's a balance here. Um, the, uh, Jesus talks about not um, casting your pearls to, to swine. And if they don't receive you, wipe the dust off your feet. And so we're talking about a specific circumstance. I'm not talking about in every circumstance. There is a truth that when people won't receive the word of God or they don't want your investment whatsoever... It's like talking to a brick wall. It's not really going to go anywhere. And there's a balance with that too. Sometimes there's people that God's like, hey, it's not their time yet. It's not even your time to invest in them yet. I'm talking specifically about the people that God brings to us. Because God brought these brothers to Joseph for him to test. And for him, we'll see in this chapter, to love on as well. So... Genesis 45, that's that last part, that last sentence of verse one. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. It's hard to believe that they didn't know all this time, right? It's like, how, dude, how, I don't know if he had like a mask on or what he's wearing that made him so these Egyptian clothes just threw him off completely. I don't know how they didn't know, but we know the Bible tells us they didn't know that this was Joseph. Regardless, we see finally Joseph reveals himself and he reveals himself for a specific purpose. What was that purpose? The change happened in his brother's lives that he was trying to make happen. They got it. They learned what it meant to love. They learned what it meant to be sacrificial for one another. And now he's able to reveal himself because they finally passed the test. Genesis chapter 45 Verse 2, and he wept aloud, and the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. And Joseph said to his brothers, please come near to me. So they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Imagine this. 20 plus years later, your brother that you sold into slavery. They have the conviction. They're talking about it all the time. Judah just said in the last uh, last chapter, God has found out our iniquity. So they're thinking about it. And now the very man that's been blessing them, that's been providing for them, but has also been testing him. It's their brother. It's the guy they've been thinking about this entire time. Such a climax in this story. And it says these brothers, they were dismayed. That's also translated as terrified. They were terrified. Like they were scared. Like, oh my gosh, this is Joseph. Last time we hung out, I was selling him into slavery. What's he going to do to us? 
So there was a terror connected to it. They didn't really know what to expect. It took some time, as we'll see in this text, for them to process exactly what's happening. But I want to point out something that I kind of mentioned in the verse before. Joseph, he didn't reveal himself until they repented. Okay? This is interesting because there's a connection to this and Christ's second coming. See, Christ is not going to reveal himself to Israel. He's not going to come on the scene at the end of the tribulation, the seven-year tribulation, until Israel repents. And we know, we've discussed before, a third of the Jews will be saved during the tribulation. But let me point you to one verse real quick, just because it's kind of neat. Hosea chapter 5. Hosea chapter 5. This whole book is, is really about God's relationship with Israel. A really creative, interesting way how the Lord inspired this book. Hosea chapter 5 verse 15. I will return again to my place till they acknowledge their offense. Then they will seek my face. In their affliction, they will earnestly seek me. The affliction that he's referring to is Jacob's trouble. The, the, the time that Israel will face more affliction than they ever have faced in their lives. And through that affliction, they'll finally look at the one whom they pierced. That's what Zechariah chapter 12 says. They'll look at the one whom they pierced and, and they'll actually accept Jesus during the tribulation. But they're not going to see him until they accept them. They're going to accept them during the tribulation. And then the Lord's going to come back in his second coming. Genesis chapter 45. Verse 5. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves. Because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Listen to what he says. Don't, don't worry. Don't grieve over this. Don't be angry with yourselves. Like, are you kidding me? Put yourself in Joseph's shoes. He was sold into slavery. And then all these other things started happening to him. He was accused. He was imprisoned. It's like things weren't going really well for Joseph until he was put in that position of power. I don't think that I would have the power to do what Joseph's doing here. Saying, don't be angry. Don't be grave. You should be ashamed of yourself. Like, what did you look what you did to me? How could you do that? I'm your brother. But that's not Joseph. Joseph, he's not harboring bitterness and resentment towards his brothers. No, no, no. He's operating in love and he's forgiving his brothers. Which brings me to the first of four points. Conquer bitterness through forgiveness. Conquer bitterness through forgiveness. We see Joseph, this text proves that he conquered the bitterness that could have resided in his heart because he chooses to forgive his brothers. He wasn't holding on to this bitterness. He still loved his brothers and we'll see he wanted the best for them. Even though they wronged him, he still wanted the best for him. Now that's genuine, sincere love. That's what forgiveness is supposed to look like. See, when people wrong us, it's easy for us to harbor bitterness, to become resentful. How could this person do this to me? But it's not the way of the Lord. When someone wrongs you, how do you respond? When someone close to you betrays you, how do you react to that? Do you hold bitterness and anger in your heart? Or do you choose to forgive? We see bitterness talked about quite a bit in the Bible. We see bitterness. It doesn't just affect us in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. Bitterness, it spreads. It doesn't just affect us. It affects everybody around us. When we're harboring bitterness, it's not only destroying us. It's destroying the people in our lives. The negativity that comes out. The uh, chip on my shoulder. That angry attitude. It affects so many people. That bitterness will spread to someone else. And now your bitterness became someone else's bitterness. But Joseph, he didn't choose to operate in bitterness. He chose to forgive. If you're holding bitterness in your heart towards someone. If you're holding resentment in your heart towards someone, it's time to let it go. If Joseph can let it go, think about it. His brother sold him into slavery, his blood. If he can let it go and he can forgive, who are we not to forgive people in our lives and how they wronged us? The Bible talks to us about forgiving people as Christ forgave us. And how badly have we wronged Christ? 
so many times in so many ways, even as believers, we still have occasions where we wrong him. Paul says, forgive people as Christ forgave you. How did Christ forgive us? He forgave us of everything. Not only that, Jesus in Luke chapter 17, he talks to his disciples about forgiveness. And it's a great text, but I just want to look at one verse to really hit this home. It's it's funny, the disciples' response. He's literally talking about forgiveness and people offending you. And then in verse 5 of Luke chapter 17, and the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. Meaning, I need faith to be able to forgive. Like, it takes faith to forgive people. Because sometimes, uh, we don't want to forgive people. See, it takes faith to forgive people because it's trusting in God's way and not our own. Our way is to hold a grudge. Our way is to be resentful. Our way is to harbor bitterness. But God's way? God's way is to forgive. It takes faith to trust in God's way and choose to walk in God's way. And the thing about forgiveness is that God wants us to forgive people, not necessarily for their sake, but for our own sake. He wants us to be freed. And forgiveness, it frees us. Where bitterness, it leads us to bondage. It prevents us from moving forward. It affects so many different aspects of our lives and our mind and our heart. And we're thinking about this thing all day long and we're bound to it. We get bound to bitterness. The Lord wants to forgive us, not just for that other person, but for ourselves, that we could walk in freedom. See, Joseph, he displayed forgiveness. He had the faith and trusted the Lord that this is what he was supposed to do regardless of what they did to him. Now, look what he says. This is probably maybe my favorite response in this whole chapter. Look at the end of verse 5. For God sent me before you to preserve life. God sent me before, he's looking at God's sovereignty. This doesn't mean that God inspired his brothers to be hateful towards him and throw him into slavery. That's not what the text is saying. But God knew the brothers' hearts. He used their hate to accomplish his plan. But I really, we'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute. I really want to focus on Joseph's perspective here. Regardless of what he walked through, he chose to look at God's sovereignty throughout the trial. Which brings me to the second point. Conquer tragedy by focusing on God's sovereignty. Conquer tragedy by focusing on God's sovereignty. See, Joseph, he wasn't playing the victim. He wasn't saying the woe is me thing. No, no, no. He saw God's hand throughout this whole experience, even though he went through so many difficult times. He saw that God was in all of it. God had a plan. He was ultimately in control, even though these bad things were happening. He had the right perspective about his trials. We also see a man that I love have an awesome perspective in the midst of trial in the person of Paul. If you look at Philippians chapter 1, I just want to look at two verses in Philippians. Paul's perspective, see he's in prison when he writes this letter. And you know what he's talking about in this whole epistle? Joy. Joy while he's in prison. Prison, jail, it's not, it's not the most joyful experience. But Paul, he's able to have joy in the midst of his trial. And look at what he says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ. This is interesting. Paul is literally in prison under a man. And he says, I'm not enslaved to a man. I'm enslaved to Jesus Christ. Christ is the one that put me here. It wasn't this man. See, Christ had a purpose in me being here. And we see part of the purpose in Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. It says, but I want you to know. He's talking to a church while he's in prison. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. He's still in prison. And he's looking at that and saying, you know what? God used these trials. He used these tribulations so that the gospel could get preached because people are getting saved here. 
doesn't matter where I am and what I'm going through. Paul was determined to preach the gospel. He had the right perspective. He was meditating on the fact that God was sovereign. He was in control over his situations. Not that God was making bad things come his way. No, but God was using the bad things to work out together for his good and his glory. Joseph had this same perspective. Do we have the same perspective? When we walk through trials, do we get so stuck in the moment and so focused on the issue that we forget who's in control of our lives? Do we get so wound up, so wound tight, so stressful, so hurting, so whatever that we neglect the God that we claim to believe in, the God that we claim to trust in, and we forget that important character quality that he truly is sovereign. I may have told you some some of you this story before, but it's one of my favorites and some of you haven't heard it. So there's a friend that I have in Calvary, Fort Lauderdale. It's this uh, this Scottish couple. They're missionaries from Scotland. They've been in uh, America for a while. They've been all over the world and they worked in our outreach department. Their names are Jim and Dot. Now, Dot told me this story. Um, She she got a biopsy and then uh, she was diagnosed with cancer and the doctor calls her on the phone and says, Dot, I'm sorry to break this to you, but you have cancer and it's bad. You know what she said? First response that came out of, her, out of her mouth. Well, who needs to get saved? Is it you? Right off the bat. There wasn't a, oh, crying. She just said, who needs to get saved? Someone's going to get saved through this and I know it. That perspective is so admirable. She saw God's sovereignty in it. She saw that God was going to use that. It might have been hard for her, but she knew it was going to benefit someone else. And that's the mentality that Joseph has. No, no, no. I know what you guys did, but God's hand was in this. He sent me before you to save you, as we'll see here in the next verse. Genesis chapter 45, verse 6. For these two years, the famine has been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So we see, remember, there were seven years of plenty, that dream that Joseph interpreted, and then there was going to be seven years of famine. So we see... We're getting a date date around here that they're two years into the famine. Joseph said, hey, there's still five more, five more years to go. And remember what Israel said a couple chapters before. He said, hey, hey, just go and get a little more food because he doesn't know how long this famine is going to be. But Joseph knows because God revealed this truth to him through that interpretation of Pharaoh's dream. And he says, hey, there, there's five more years of this famine left I got a place for you. I got some property for you here in Egypt. See, God sent me before you, verse 7, to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. See, Joseph, he knew he had a mission to fulfill. He knew there was a reason why he was sold into slavery. He knew there was a reason why he was falsely accused. He knew there must have been a reason why he was put in prison. There's also a reason why he was forgotten. And he's putting the pieces of the puzzle together and he recognized despite all this, God has a purpose. God has a plan. God has a mission. He didn't have time to feel sorry for himself. God had him busy. God had him doing stuff. God had a work to do in his life, and he wanted to, as well as we see, work through his life. See, self-pity, when we wallow in self-pity, it will prevent us from fulfilling the mission that God's given us. And I get being sorrowful under severe circumstances, but self-pity doesn't help us. It doesn't help us accomplish what God has called us to accomplish. See, Joseph, He didn't squander in self-pity. He rose to the occasion and he fulfilled the plan that God had for him. He knew. God sent me before you. There is a plan in all of this. He wasn't feeling sorry for himself. Genesis chapter 45, verse 8. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house. And a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. 
we see again that he says, God sent me. We see a balance here between uh, God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. We can talk about that for ages. They've been talking about it ever since the Bible was written. I'm not going to get too much into that. Again, it's not that God made his brothers sell him into slavery. It's that God used the hatred of his brothers because he's all-powerful, because he's all-knowing. He used that hatred. He didn't make them hate his brother Joseph, their brother Joseph, but he used that hatred all to fulfill his plan because he had to get he had to get Israel to Egypt eventually because he knew this famine was going to come. So he used all these things. The brothers are still responsible for the sin that they committed against Joseph. It's not like, oh, God sent me, so you're you're off the hook. No, we saw that they they repented. They recognized that 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 they committed a sin. The, the Lord has found out our iniquity. So it's not like, oh, it's a clean slate because, because God sent you. No, no, they're forgiven because they repented. But just considering the fact that God sent them doesn't mean that they're off the hook. Genesis chapter 45, verse 9. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son, Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near to me, you and your children, your children's children, your flocks and your herds, and all that you have. Now we see here, Joseph reiterates and says again, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. We discussed how God walked Joseph through that 13-year discipleship leadership plan with all those different trials, and we see God actually made his man. He made him Lord. That was his purpose, that he would have this control, this element of control over Egypt so that he could bring the family in when it was time. And he tells them, you're going to dwell in the land of Goshen. This is where the people of Israel will stay until the Exodus. Some 400 plus years, they're going to be in Egypt until Exodus. So they're sticking around in Goshen for a long time. Okay, they're going to be there for a while. But what's interesting about this is when you look at the word Goshen and what it means, it literally means to draw near. See, God, in his sovereignty, he set up this specific place set apart from the rest of the culture of Egypt so that his people could draw near to him. So not only, though, does God have the people here so that they can draw near to him, we see this place is going to be used so that his family, Joseph's family, can draw near to him as well. And that's what it says here. <clears throat> At the end of verse 10, you shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near to me. Okay, so you reconciliation happening. You and your children, your children's children, your flocks and your herds and all that you have. Verse 11. There I will provide for you, lest you and your household and all that you have come to poverty. For there are still five years of famine. They sold him into slavery and he says, I'm going to provide for you. Joseph, he's, he's such a man, he's such an example. Genesis chapter 45, verse 12. And behold, your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my mouth that speaks to you. They're probably still in shock. So you shall tell my brother of all my glory in Egypt and, all, and of all that you have seen, and you shall hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept on his neck. Moreover, he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. And after that, his brothers talked with them. Now look at this. Considering what Joseph's brothers did to him, how does Joseph respond? We discussed he has 20 plus years to, to build up this bitterness, right? But he doesn't. He kisses them. He's walking in love. He's not holding a grudge. They hated him, but he loves them point number three conquer hate through love conquer hate through love joseph's brother it says a couple times that they they hated joseph because he was the favored son but joseph doesn't allow their hate towards him to prevent him from 
extending love. He has this emotional encounter with him. And we see here Joseph won over his hateful brothers through the act of love. And Jesus, he calls us to do the same. If you look at Matthew chapter 6, probably the most challenging, if not the most, one of the most, most scriptures in all of the Bible. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For you, if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax, tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Very challenging scripture. He says, bless your enemies. Do good to them. Even pray for them. That's a love that's not natural. That's a love that's supernatural. That's the agape love. That God gives us. He gives us the ability to do it. And he gives us the direction to walk in it. We've got to make the choice to do it. Now, it, it's difficult already for, for, for sometimes extending love and really walking in the love that, that Christ talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 talks about. But now you're talking about enemies, people that hate you, people that wronged you. Put yourself in Joseph's shoes. They hated him. They wronged him, yet he still extended love towards them. Do you have an enemy? Do you have people that you've been enemies in the past with? Have you ever reached out to them? Have you ever reached out to them and extended a hand or an action of love? Have you ever pursued reconciliation with them? Now, there has to be wisdom in this, and hear me out. There's certain people in certain settings that you have no business trying to reconcile or reaching out to that person. It, it can cause a lot more harm than good. But sometimes there's specific people in your life that maybe you really don't like. They've offended you. They said something about you. They did something against you. The Lord says, hey, we're called to love those people. It's so interesting how, how great the power of love is. Many times in my Christian life, I've been put in close proximity to people that I really cannot stand. And this has happened several times. One time I, I had to live in a tent uh, for a week with, with a person that I really didn't like, really didn't care for. I wouldn't say I hated him, but I really didn't like him. And by the end of that, I, I was forced to, to pray for him and bless him and be good to him. And I can say by the end of it, I truly loved him. I loved him. The Lord literally will give us the ability to love people and give us the ability to, to overcome hate through the avenue of love. He gives us the power, but we got a purpose to choose to walk in it. Again, wisdom. If it's somebody, an ex-girlfriend, maybe an ex-boyfriend that you really shouldn't reach out to, don't do that. But in certain circumstances, God does call us to do that, even people that have wronged us. And it's so freeing for us to extend that love and forgiveness and experience that reconciliation that's happening right here in verse 15. And it says, not only did he kiss his brothers, it says that after that, his brother, brothers talked with him. No longer were they afraid. No longer were they speechless. Now they're able to communicate with him. I would have loved to hear this conversation. What is it going to be like? Sorry, we sold you into slavery. Thanks for saving our lives. Like, what's that conversation look like? What can they really say? I guess, sorry. That's, that's about it. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But there's also a connection in this scripture to, again, the second coming of Jesus Christ. You remember the first time that we're introduced to Joseph after the passage where he's born, when it really starts focusing on him, we see that his brethren, his brothers, they rejected him. First time Christ would come and he would be rejected. At his second coming, he's not being rejected. He's going to be accepted by his people. Let me point you to two verses real quick. In Luke chapter 19, verse 14, I got lucky. Flipped right to it. Um, this is when... <clears throat> 
this is um, uh, a parable that Jesus is describing, and it's, it's a picture of his relationship with Israel, amongst other th- things. But it says, but his citizens hated him, sent a delegation after him, saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. That was Israel's heart in their relationship with Jesus Christ. He's not our king. He's not our ruler. He's not going to reign over us. Just as his brothers, remember? That's why they rejected him. That's why they betrayed him. Why? Because he gave him that dream and he says, Hey, I had this dream that you're going to bow down to me one day. And they're like, No, that ain't happening. We're going to make sure that doesn't happen. And they sell him into slavery. But now, the second time... That's not what happens. He's not rejected. He's accepted by his brothers. And his brothers, have we, as we've discussed many times, they literally bowed down to him. That's the same thing that's going to happen at the end of the age in the second coming. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 10, it says, Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ truly is Lord. We will see, though Christ was rejected by many, in his first coming, he will be accepted in his second coming. Genesis chapter 45, verse 16. Now the report of it was heard in Pharaoh's house, saying, Joseph's brothers have come. So it pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, say to your brothers, do this, load your animals and depart, go to the land of Canaan. Bring your father and your households and come to me. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you will eat the fat of the land. Now you are commanded, do this. Take carts out of the land of Egypt for your little ones and your wives. Bring your father and come. Also, do not be concerned about your goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. Then the sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them carts according to the command of Pharaoh, and he gave them provision for the journey. This is crazy. These brothers, they don't deserve anything other than what? Judgment. They deserve judgment. But that's not what they're given. They're given provision. Same thing with our relationship with the Lord. For the wages of sin is death. What we deserve is judgment. What we deserve is condemnation. But those who accept Jesus Christ were able to get grace we're able to get life we're able to get a life that we don't deserve and that's exactly what happens with these brothers they deserve horrible things to happen to them but nevertheless because of god's sovereignty because of joseph's love for them they're able to experience grace genesis chapter 45 verse 22 he gave To all of them, to each man, changes of garments. But to Benjamin, he gave 300 pieces of silver and five changes of garments. So we see, once again, Joseph blesses Benjamin. He gave him five times as much food, and now he's giving him five times as many garments and all this extra silver. Now, I don't know exactly why he's doing this. It could be the favoritism thing, because they were the only complete blood brothers. The rest of them were half-brothers. But it also could be another test, a final test, because what's the last thing that they need to do? They need to go back and get their father, Israel, and bring him back. They still have plenty of time to fail, right? So he, he, he's probably doing a little bit of both, right? He's, he's, he's displaying favoritism once again towards Benjamin, but this kind of might be a, little, uh, a last little test for these guys. We're going to see that they pass the test. They, they don't steal this stuff from Benjamin, Yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. And that's what the whole thing was. He was purging them of envy the last time. That's why they sold Joseph into slavery, because they were jealous. They proved that they didn't really have that envy when he uh, blessed Benjamin with that five times as much food. So they're growing, but still, we all have room to grow. They're a work in progress. Genesis chapter 45, verse 23. And he sent to his father these things, 10 donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt and 10 female donkeys loaded with grain, bread and food for his father for the journey. So he sent his brothers away and they departed and he said to them, see that you do not become troubled along the way. Now, this is interesting. When you look at this word word, troubles, many, most translations, when you look at the original Hebrew word, they render this as angry or quarrel. Okay, It's likely that Joseph is saying, don't get in a fight on your way back. 
Why? Because he just blessed them with all these things. And as you mentioned, the envy and jealousy that they displayed early on in Genesis chapter 37, there still be, could be a remnant of that. Even though they've overcome a lot of things, he said, hey, don't get in a fight, okay? Don't get in a fight with each other over all these materials. Come back to me safe and sound. Genesis chapter 45, verse 27. Sorry, verse 25. Then they went up, then they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to Jacob, their father. And they told him saying, Joseph is still alive and he is governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart stood still because he did not believe them. Jacob is in disbelief. And we've discussed, it seems like the theme is Jacob's other name. Jacob's name that God gave him was what? Israel, right? And we see in the text when he's operating in faith, he's referred to as Israel. But when he's operating in doubt, he's referred to as Jacob. And he's operating in doubt. He didn't believe what his sons were telling him. Genesis chapter 45, verse 27. But when they told him all the words which Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts which, which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. Now we see he went from this place of unbelief to this place of belief. He went from doubt to faith because of the words that he heard from Joseph. Fourth point, conquer doubt through faith. Conquer doubt through faith. Joseph isn't the only one conquering things. Here we see Israel still has a work that God's doing in his life. He's been struggling with, with faith in the last several chapters ever since Joseph was sold into slavery. But we're going to see some faith displayed through him in the end of this chapter and uh, specifically in Genesis chapter 46. So, again, conquered doubt through faith. This is interesting. He started to believe when he saw the carts and he heard the words that Joseph spoke. This connects to the Bible. This connects to the gospel. This connects to the word of God. See, people will believe when the gospel is preached. That's what it says in the scriptures. If you look at Romans chapter 10, Romans chapter 10 <clears throat> In verse 14, it says, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? No one's hearing the gospel if nobody's sharing the gospel. But look at verse 17. It says, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. We've discussed how Joseph is a picture of Jesus, and there's a lot of similarities. Our faith, it grows when we hear the word of God. Jacob, his faith grew when he heard the words of Joseph. If we want our faith to grow, if we want to continue to battle doubt in our lives, we've got to get in the word. We've got to study the word. We've got to dive into it. It's a promise in scripture. If we're in the word, if we're hearing the word, doubt will start to fade. Faith will begin to grow. If we want the faith to grow, we've got to hear the words. We've got to stick into the word. Not only... Does his faith grow in this moment? He believes his spirit, it says in verse 27, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. Imagine this. Imagine, imagine thinking that your child was gone, dead, for 20 plus years. And all of a sudden you're hearing that they're alive. That would have been amazing. I would have loved to see Jacob's face. I would, I'm surprised he didn't die in this moment of a, of a heart attack. He, he believed and he was revived. He was restored. He was an old man. I don't know what he did. Maybe he jumped up. Maybe he danced. I don't really know, but he was so excited. He was so blessed. This is almost like Joseph being resurrected, brought back from the dead, at least in his mind. He assumed that he was dead and now he knows in his mind that he's alive. I'm sure Jacob, obviously, in this moment is completely thrilled. Spirit is revived. But I wonder if he's considering how he acted in the last few chapters leading up to this point. How he's acted in his life ever since he heard that Joseph was dead. Remember the things that he says. 
All these things are against me. He's like assuming that God's out to get him. All these things are happening against me. First it was Joseph. Now it's Simeon. Now they want Benjamin. And he's just so negative and doubtful. See, sometimes we don't realize how poorly we behaved in the trial until the trial is over. And then we can look back and say, man, I either blew it or, or, or I was a success in that. Though God challenged me, though God tested me, I, I'm able to say I, I walked through that faithfully. He's not able to say this. He was doubting the Lord. God had done so much to him. God literally spoke to him on multiple occasions. And he's, he's doubting. He's not trusting. He's not being the, the pillar of faith that God called him to be. See, when we go through trials, it's inevitable. God's going to bring us out of it eventually. Whether it's in our life or through death. No trial will last forever. For those that are children of God and see Jacob, he didn't have that perspective, but you know who did his son, Joseph, Joseph, he continued to walk by faith through every single trial and he trusted that God was going to make all things work out together for his good. And he went through worse than Jacob went through. And yet he still trusted the Lord through the process. Genesis chapter 45, last verse, verse 28. And then Israel said, it is enough Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. So he goes from faithless Jacob to, what's his name now? Israel. Now he believes. He's trusting God. He has faith. This is a different side. He's operating in the new man once again. No longer saying that everything's against me. He's content with the little blessing of, I guess it's a big blessing, yeah a restored child, the big blessing of, of, of Joseph being restored to him, knowing that Joseph is alive. But when we consider how many chapters have gone by, while Jacob has been this negative Nancy, constantly doubting the Lord, saying those things like, why are these things against me? Literally, his desire to see Joseph, his longing for Joseph, his assumption that Joseph is dead robbed him of 20 years of joy. He just lost it. He wasn't the, the pillar that he was before. He was a different man. He was a doubting man. He was a faithless man. That trial, I can't imagine, but it rocked him to his core that it changed who he was and he didn't have the faith that he once had. Now, finally, at the end of his life, he's able to be blessed with the very thing that he's been longing for for so long. See, sometimes we can experience loss or we can just have a longing in our heart for something in this world that we think is going to satisfy us. Maybe it's a person. Maybe it's a lifestyle. Maybe it's a family. It could be anything. And sometimes we can long for that thing to the very end of our lives. And us longing for that thing can rob us of the joy and the abundance of life that God wants for us now. See, right now he has contentment. Why? Because his circumstances changed. His contentment's based on his circumstances. His contentment isn't based on his relationship with the Lord. And whenever we find ourselves in a place like that, when our contentment is based on what we're going through in our lives, then we're never truly content. You're just a product of your circumstances. And that's what we see when you look at the difference between Jacob and Joseph. Jacob, he's a product of his circumstances. Joseph, he's a conqueror over his circumstances. No matter what came his way, he chose not to doubt God. He chose to trust God. And we see in the end, he was going to work out everything for good for Israel and Joseph. The difference is Joseph believed it. And Joseph believed it in its entirety the whole time. We all go through trials. Trials are inevitable. In John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus promises, in this world, you will have tribulation. We're all going to face tribulation. Doesn't mean I come to Christ and everything gets easier. No, no, likely it's going to be harder. Those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution on, on some level. There's a promise. He doesn't say it's going to be all blessing and easy stuff. That's part of it. 
But there's going to be brutality as well, regardless of what happens. Each and every one of us will face trials, will face obstacles on some level. But who are we going to choose to be like? Are we going to try to choose to be like a, a Jacob and just doubt the Lord through it until the trial is over and then have faith? Or will we have faith like Joseph through it and gain the ability through faith to overcome any obstacle that God puts in our path? The trials will come, but we choose how we walk through them. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you for this story and how you give us good examples and bad examples. And there are so many great things that Israel did, Lord, and there's so many positive things to, to learn from him. God, but in, in this one, it, Joseph is obviously the, the one that, that you're calling us to, to imitate. And I pray, Lord, that we would do just that, that we wouldn't just imitate him, but we would imitate you because that's what you call us to, that whatever we walk through in life, blessings or issues or trials, God, that we would put our faith in you, that we would trust in you, that we would truly believe in the midst of it, not afterwards, in the midst of it, that you are going to work out everything for good, that you're doing something. And you don't just let things happen and not use them. You, you, you use everything. Nothing goes to waste with you. Lord, so give us this perspective. Pray for anyone in this room that's been going through a, a rough time. Um, maybe life is just not going the way that they thought it would. Lord, I pray that you would give them the confidence, that you would give them the faith in you, that, Lord, they can overcome these things if they lean on you. There's no obstacle too big for you, God. When we lean on you and we trust in you, you can give us the power to overcome any obstacle. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh,